This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. And this week I'm joined by Doug Sweeney. Doug and I have had the chance to sit and talk and see the commonality in where we've come from and and how things you know have transformed. That we both thought that we were outside of uh, the option of change. That we didn't have you know the worth that somebody didn't want us. Man, Doug's got an amazing story, and I'm super excited to get in and hear him share share with you um, his journey and the transformation that he's now experienced. Doug, how are you doing today, my friend? I am well, and I want to thank you so much for hosting me. I am uh, I'm beyond blessed to be with someone like you and so relatable with some things in life. So uh, I, I, I'm just admonished. Thank you so much. Absolutely, my friend. Yeah, we've definitely... Uh, shared some stuff and said, yep, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were yeah. the only ones in it. Right. right. <laughs> well, Doug, what does life look like for you on the professional side today? Today on the professional side, I'm in a arena that I never thought myself to be. Um, I'm trying to, uh, well, I have launched a website recently to help men of who I used to be uh, stuck in substance abuse addiction for most of my years. And so, but I, I'm doing it from a whole different spectrum uh, than what the world provides or offers. So I'm, I'm doing it the way that it finally succeeded with me after so many failed attempts. And it's from a biblical foundation. And it's basically just a, a relationship with God. And, and, and I, hope to, I hope the Holy Spirit to do the work uh, as it usually will and do, does, but uh, I want to help men uh, not only break the bondage of addiction, but actually see and believe and acquire a freedom that was never known, that some have never had and some haven't had for a very long time. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing today. And I'm just started, so the site is still new. It's freshly launched a couple months, a little less than a couple months. That's where I'm at today. Oh, very cool. What does life look like on the personal side for you right now? On the personal side, I I have, um, you know, I'm in my late 40s now, and uh, I've never been married. So I'm uh, looking forward to the love of my, the only love of my life, uh, besides Jesus Christ, uh, to be married soon. And we're going through premarital counseling. We're doing everything that we should the right the first time because neither one of us have ever been married. And uh, so we are really pushing for this to be done the right way and for the forever status. And so that's where I'm at now. She's my big support system. She's huge in support. She knows nothing about my past. I mean, she knows everything about my past, but she knows nothing of that lifestyle. So I have kind of put her in a shockwave on many levels. 
but she loves me and she supports everything that I'm doing and she actually encourages it because who isn't all too aware of how predominant addiction is just breaking up families and lives and, and things like that. So I, I couldn't be more blessed to have someone on my team like her. And that's where I'm at right now, where we are preparing ourselves for the rest of our lives together. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's wonderful. It's wonderful that neither of us have made a mistake and been a part of a, a a divorce or anything, a brokenness like that. So I'm I'm so blessed. It's it's a gift indeed. Yeah. Well, let's jump back to like what you talk about having come through and it wasn't like it, you know, just kind of, like addiction comes from us trying to uh, cope with stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, what happened? Like what, what was it that got you to that point where you were, you were open to, you know, looking for something to cope and get through. Sure. So um, growing up, Basically, I, you know, I came from a family of five. My mother and father were always married, uh, had two brothers. They were very close in age. They were only a year apart, but they were both between five and six years younger than myself. So, um, I grew up in this family with a very, um, never, never calm father. He was to say that is an understatement. He was a very aggressive, very angry father. He was never happy about anything. Um, he and so he fought with my mother for mo- most all my upbringing. There was always fighting. Um, there was the same with us boys though too. We 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 were uh, we were always at fault for something. We weren't doing something right. Uh, we were demeaned, uh, ridiculed called names uh the abuse went to us too because it was it was it it was just common for him to do this and it became common for us to accept it and just know that at there was going to be different times that we were going to face you know some some very loud scary crying uh trying to escape the wrath of dad type moments and so as a young child, basically, I I just internalized the idea that I wasn't of much worth because he he reinforced this constantly. the The comments and the statements that came out of his mouth was forever the same or in different words in a different way, but meaning the same thing. So I really it somehow took hold in me, not that I chose to believe it, but it just, it it took hold in me very young. You know, I mean, before I even got to junior high, I I seriously thought that there was something wrong with me. Like I I really, I I really just can't do anything right. Or because if it was a chore, if it was uh, whatever, he would demean it, ridicule it, or, tell me what I could, should have did better or could have done more between that and trying to keep the peace between my mother and father. Not that my mother offered a fight. She tried to refrain from it too, but he didn't. He was, it, it was 
it, it was what made him at peace was to fight or argue. He never, that's where he was normal uh, in a sense. So I had to, I was put in a position to lie to my dad for my mom and then lie to my mom for my dad. And he worked night shift and she worked day shift. And so I was constantly, and I was in charge of my brothers because I was the oldest. So I was like, I was in this position to hold all things in in stance. Um, And so this is what I developed into because of that. And I just kind of, I didn't know, I, I wasn't equipped or even had the confidence or the courage to make friends or anything. So I didn't really do that. My best, the, my very first per- thing that I turned to at age thir- 12 or 13, I think, was alcohol. And I didn't even do it with anybody. I did it by myself. But after doing it, I instantly accepted that, you know, it, it did change the way I felt. It gave me some kind of, uh, you know, knowing now it was a dark spiritual stigma. But uh, at the time, I thought it was just some kind of open relief. And I, but I, and I knew that from that first time that I was going to figure out how to do this, but not do it like him, not be mean, angry, and abusive, and just drink and be happy. And I wasn't like him when I drank. Um, I was never violent. I was never abusive. I was never any of that. But I drank to an excess that soon, you know, in years, soon, soon years, I was tripling his consumption. And therefore, I could not function the way he did. He was functional because he maintained. He didn't, you know, lose his job. He didn't get pulled over. He didn't have car accidents because he, 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 he knew how to be functional on that level of it. And I didn't. So I, that's what happened because of my use. I started uh, I started getting in trouble with the law. I got a lot of DUIs. I had DUIs as a juvenile, and um, I would get in trouble at school because I would drink before school or I would take drink to school, um, even in my juvenile days. And finally, it just it just it, it continued to carry on. I always had a job. I always worked hard. I always impressed an employer with my work ethic, but there would be another time to where my consumption would take over and I would eventually, it would either be a car accident or it would be a a law, uh, a breaking the law with drinking and driving and going to jail or getting a possession charge for, you know, marijuana or other things and it started to consume my life it let me it started to take me into jail too often finally i just want to you know i could repeat that same thing many times because that went on for years in the beginning but finally it came to um another car accident another very very serious car accident there were several very 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 serious car accidents but this one had cost somebody's life and uh it was it was a one car accident luckily i didn't infringe another vehicle 
But nonetheless, the occupant in my car was uh, killed instantly. And I, you know, I was, I, I was in a coma and out and he was already buried before I had, you know, come to conscience or waking up or anything. But uh, so while I'm in the hospital and my mom is trying to convey this to me in the most soft, subtle way possible. I totally don't buy into it. I don't remember it. I have no conscious memory of it. It's been almost 20 years and I still don't. And God has confirmed to me that I, 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 it won't be necessary for me to remember this. So I'm sure I never will. But at that time, I just couldn't. I thought, no way. I thought this was mom's way of making it sound more serious than it had been before. And scaring me because I had already been in so many accidents, um, and, and and I just I, I refused to believe it for a while. Um, so I was I was messed up bad. I I was almost I also flatlined in care flight to the hospital, but was brought back. And then I was questionable for a little while in the beginning because my injuries were pretty severe as well. But uh, so I'm in the hospital for almost two months. And in those first few weeks, when she finally conveys this to me, I'm not having, I, I, I don't know how to deal with it. I don't, because I don't even have a memory of it. And I'm thinking, what possibility is there that maybe I wasn't? Neither one of us were in the car. We were both ejected. Uh, And so, and by knowing that, I'm thinking, would I have let him ride my car, drive my car, and maybe he was the driver or, or, or something like this. Also, I'm fighting these thoughts, the constant consistency of me being in the hospital. And, uh, I, something tells me though, long story short, something tells me that knowing my will and my behavior back then, that nobody was driving my car ever, ever, ever to to tell me that I was not in control to. If you said I wasn't in control to and you didn't trust me while driving, then you didn't have to ride with me. I didn't make anybody ride with me. But I also was very stubborn and was not giving my keys to somebody and saying, you know what, you're right, I'm too drunk. I never did that. I I was stupid and I was dumb in that way. And I just didn't do that. So I'm, I think about that, why I think the fact that I probably was the driver, but I just, I, I wanted to know why this would happen and why, why would he pass away and not me? This man who what is in the element that I'm about to convey right here is what broke my heart. He was a father. He had a nine-year-old son. I didn't have kids. You know, this he he was a man that had made many mistakes too in life and he wasn't, you know, run, he wasn't helping churches or running third world countries, you know, to help with assistance and stuff. He he was but he was another man that hadn't had even a fraction of the accidents or mistakes or jail terms that I had had at that time. And I didn't understand why he was taken and why I wasn't. 
I really couldn't understand that, especially the fact that he had a son. His son was actually, I was dating his ex-wife. And so his son was in our home. He just visited his son once in a while. But the big picture was is that he was a father to this boy. And I survived another accident and he didn't. And he hadn't even given, been given a, a fraction of a chance that I had already been given. So I, on that, you know, picture alone, I could not believe that I could be forgivable. And I could not even understand why this happened. And I still don't remember nothing. So all these things are just tearing me down. Um, I, a, a state trooper does a police report at my bedside shortly before they, they let me out. I have no good answers to give because I don't have no memory to anything. I didn't even know we went out that night, but uh, we did. And they, by the time it was time for the hospital to let me out, even though I, I still couldn't walk, I still couldn't do many things. Um, a, a, an indictment or a grand jury has had not at that time come up with a charge for me. So they just let me out. And so this is building in my conscience too, that with my background and everything that my past shows, and if they're so clear that I was the operator of this vehicle, why would they even let me out? So I'm, I'm in a quandary of thinking maybe it isn't possible that I was operating. Maybe he was. And I, I'm just, I'm battling this in my mind and in my conscience. And, and my mom doesn't even want me to come out of the hospital because she don't know how I'm going to, you know, react to this big ordeal that has happened. If I'm going to just, lose my mind and, and run somewhere or or anything like this so so three months pass after i get out of the hospital i get out right before christmas time and three months pass before uh they deliver an indictment to the address that i'm living at and i go willingly of course uh i'm still not able to walk or anything I, i'm hobbling on a crutch but I go into the county jail. Uh, I start the arraignment process. I go through the courts, the first preliminary hearings and stuff like that, getting a lawyer appointed to me, things like this. And one day in the middle of the week, a weekday, the dorm of the jail that I'm in is uh, just chaos. It's loud. Everyone's arguing and fighting. And a CO correctional officer came across and uh, opened our dorm and said that there was a Bible study. Um, if anybody wanted to go to the Bible study to line up and hurry up, basically get in line and go. And I just thought, you know, this is my time. I can't, I can't sit in this dorm with a bunch of chaos and juveniles arguing back and forth, just the mindset of everyone in there. And I, and I wanted to go, not that I had, had any reason or want to go to the Bible study, but I wanted to get out of there. I went into the Bible study and I wish I remembered what the message or the ministry that came in, but I don't. I was out there for about an hour and a half, come back to the dorm. And while I had, while I had been gone, mail had been passed out. Um, I wasn't expecting any mail, but I did. I got a, I got a letter from, uh, from the victim's uh, mother. In this letter, and keep in mind before I go 
and tell you this, but uh, I, for five months now, from the time I wake up in the hospital to the time that I'm in jail, the accident has already happened. Uh, so for these five months, I, I have been just twisting myself sideways. I've lost weight. I can't, I can't, I can't even, I don't even know how my nervous system didn't break down, but I just can't live with myself to think that I did this and I don't even remember doing it. And then after all, and I had a God conscience, I always had a God conscience. So my idea of God was wrong uh, all my life. You know, I went to a Pentecostal church when I was very young for three years. My mom tried to take all of us boys. And I saw the power of the spirit. I saw God. I saw many things that concreted my faith. But I still had a wrong view of God. I just, and that's why I didn't believe I could possibly be forgivable. And so opening this letter that I got from, you know, this man's mother that was in my car, he was killed instantly on the first roll. He was, he was, it, it didn't, it wasn't but a second or two he was killed. But she told me in this letter, and I don't remember the words, and I wish to God I still had this letter, but she told me in the perfect way that was orchestrated by Christ alone, I know that she stood by my mother at my bedside an hour and a half after finding out about her only son's death, praying for my survival with my mom, praying for my survival. And it was clear to her then that you know, that I was the operator because it was so clear already. I just don't know what took so long to get this evidence out and an indictment, but it was very clear because all my skin, hair, at the time I had hair and flesh was all on my side of the car and all of that was on his side of the car. But she told me in this letter that she had prayed for my survival with my mom because it was still questionable in the very beginning that first night and so or so. And when I read that, it was the perfect, God knew that that's what I needed as an answer of being forgivable. And uh, (laughs) that's what he knew I needed to know that I was forgivable. And so I can't say, I can't give that any more, I can't give any more clarity than to say that that was, Uh, Now, my heart just jumped for joy to know that, that first of all, you know, and and at that time, I want to state this too, in late 2004, or yeah, around then, there was about six and a half billion people in the world. There's much more now, I know, but at that time, we had about six and a half billion, and God knew me in that moment. That's where he proved his personalness to me. He proved that he was personally forgiving me after I racked my mind and ripped my heart up and down of trying to understand how I could be forgivable. And I didn't care how much time I was going to do. I was already familiar with the prison system because I'd been in and out for a short period of time. But I knew right then and there that I was going to prison with God no matter what. I was going with him. And I was going to open his word and study 
and learn how to elate in this forgiveness and 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 shed the old life and you know at, with that charge it was an f2 it was aggravated vehicular homicide it was an f2 i faced eight years um the charge ended up being dropped to an f3 and then i faced five years i got four and um and i went and i had a small additional other charges that they tacked onto it in court so I, altogether i did four years and 10 months and i went in and i went in strong and uh immediately i i, I stayed in prayer I, I god knew my heart in those beginning days and he knew that i was going to need coaching and walking and and baby steps and many levels, but he also knew my commitment. I'm sure of it because within the first two months of um, my stay in my parent institution, the penitentiary uh, they sent me to, I uh, he 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 aware to my heart. He spiritually communicated to me that I also had to forgive, and it was a perfect sequence of time. It's first showing me that he forgave me. And that I was forgivable and that I also had to be set free, set, taking the captive off of my freedom and forgive. And I had no one to forgive except for one person. And it was my father. I had no bounds of unforgiveness to anybody but him. I had so much anger and, and hatred and upsetness from him of how I felt like his attitude and his 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 demeanor had developed my whole life he had never i don't remember once my dad ever hugging me i don't remember him there was one time he hugged my mom ever and that was when her mom passed away back in 86. i had i had never saw love and affection ever i and and he, you know, he got away with everything. He drove drunk every day of his life almost. He, he, he illustrated to me the commonality of, of, of upbringing and, and normalcy, you know, in his eyes. And, and so I had so much anger and, and, and just, just such a, a hostility at him. But God showed me that I had to forgive him. And it was so much more then the text that we read in the Bible about forgive as you have been forgiven, there is so much more to it because it truly set me free. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but it, I, you know, and I, and I leaned on some, some older Christian brothers in, in prison, some other inmates who had also sincerely given their hearts to, to God. And, and they were helping me, you know, in these baby steps, of understanding that and they helped me understand that it was it was just a beautiful thing in itself that my heart knew that i had to do this yeah. and then in soon time i did take some action steps i did write a letter i did call him and tell him and his reply is forgive me for what you know and that was disappointing but i didn't that wasn't that wasn't up to me i just knew that that god knew that i had to do this for my benefit for my benefit of being free. Forgiveness is so key and it's so, it is such a healing. Not only being forgiven, but forgiving and getting yourself free. 
because hadn't I done that? And it was good that he, and I know why he did that in retrospect in the beginning, because I had many things to walk through in that almost five year time. And I had to do this first in order to go through these other things and learn all that I learned. And uh, it was a perfect sequential process. And that's just how amazing God is. So. I think it's interesting that you, you said like you forgave him. His response was for what? So many times we know the hurt that's gone on, you know, it's, it's front and center for us. And as much as we would like to have the person that's, you know, offended us, that's hurt us respond and ask for forgiveness that doesn't that doesn't occur um and it's i used to think it was that acknowledgement on their side was the way to get closure on forgiveness i Did used you, to too. so you In found it was different as well right yeah I, I did like i said it was like for just an instant it was like a stab in the heart like how can you say that you know what i mean but because there was there was so many times there was so many uh children's services coming through my counselor at school in the public or 911 was brand new back in the late 80s and many times the officers were called either by a neighbor or by myself and once again he gets away with it you know what i mean so all these things that 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 caused the developing of 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 what i went through I just couldn't, under, I, it was unfathomable that he didn't understand for what, but I, I also, I had to detach from that and not dwell on that and also reach out. And this is why we, 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 we go to the church. The church is not the, this, the building, it's the body, the body of believers. And I instantly, I had to go to another believer and communicate this and, and talk this and get this, you know, rationally communicated to understand that that's just where he's at. And part of my forgiveness for him is, is that he, he just doesn't know. And, well, and the other part of it is just like you and I were medicating with our choice of addiction. Right. 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 If let's, let's take the place. Like if my children came to me and said, Hey, you have hurt me. I forgive you. If I acknowledge that there is something that I did wrong and I'm then asking for them to forgive me for that, that's already what I'm medicating for is to hide all that stuff. I'm then at that point taking a, a backhoe and just digging it all up and bringing it to the surface. And I'm already trying to stop that with my addiction. And that's oftentimes where we'll see that you know the the person we're forgiving almost takes another <laughs> takes another swipe at us through saying yeah. for what but yeah. they're also in their own pain yeah. they're just not progressing to work it through like right. like we are right we're 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 doing the work of healing ourselves and moving beyond what we've 
we've learned, inherited, however you want to phrase it, right? right. You saw what your dad was doing. You swore, hey, I'm not going to do what my dad did. I'm not going to be like he was. And those were my exact words towards my parents, you know, about them. And it's so often we just kind of change a little bit about it, but the root of it still is, is there. Um, how, like you had said, you'd been in previous serious accidents yeah. and I'm assuming that like nobody was involved in those before. Is that true or, uh, nobody well i mean there was i had friends other other not friends but other drinking buddies that had been in a couple of one of them that was very serious i really got lucky on uh because we were both hurt i i sustained multiple injuries i think it broke both of his legs we were out of state somewhere uh it was luckily uh, at that time, I don't know how I survived lots of criminal charges, but we injured each other or my, my driving injured us both pretty bad. It was a close call. Other accidents, uh, we, I've injured people that were with me too, but luckily they weren't as severe. Uh, yeah, I, I was bad. I was so bad. See, I lived because of how I considered myself and how I was made to perceive who I was, I lived with such self-destruction. I drank, I didn't just drink heavy, but I power drank liters of vodka. I, I drank in the excess of normalcy. I, you know, I had a stomach pumping every so often. Um, I was, I was always, so I drank very heavy and, and if I drove, then I was so, I was so at risk. I was just so at risk. I I had survived so many things. I I have never, I have, uh, you know, I I don't claim to be the greatest at anything, but uh, I don't know. I, I've survived more things. If I were to sit here and itemize all the things that God has saved me from, it's it's it would be unbelievable. It would probably you probably wouldn't even know if you could trust that or not. But He has really saved me from a lot. I and, and I'm functional. I mean, I have a terrible bad back. I have pains all the time, but I can think. I can move. I have every fiber, every limb and phalange. I have. I'm just blessed. I'm so blessed he has saved me from so much, but I, and it's what keeps me radical. It's what keeps me radical for the truth that is in his word and, and the relationship, not religion that he wants. He, he just wants relationship. And there's a freedom in the relationship with him that is like no other. It's not comparable. And so. Do you, do you see that there was, like a difference from before, like you said, you were power drinking, right? That disdain for yourself, almost like you talked about the lack of worth, right? Not seeing your own worth. Do you see other changes? Like when you've discovered that, Hey, yeah, I am actually valuable and I'm redeemable and forgiven. When that occurred, do you see that other things changed as well? Like, you were being self-destructive, you know, even self-harm in an indirect yeah. way 
you know, driving when you're drunk, right? We'll do stuff like that. Do you see that your feelings or emotions toward yourself and your actions changed as well at that point? I do. Um, you mean on the counter counter side of it? Yeah. From, from where you were, um, you know, you're out drinking, you're driving, you're, you're getting hurt, but you're continuing on that same path. Right. Then you discover, Hey, I have worth. I, you know, I am forgivable. This is like a change in identity almost. Right. Do you see when that time occurred, did other things change as a result of that? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you asked that. Uh, and it, it keeps me freshly aware of who I am and where I am. Um, let me be as truthful as possible. You know, I'll be 48 later this year. And uh, still to this day, at times, I will self-crucify myself. I will still, I will still at times do that. It won't hang with me. It won't, it won't be resident. It won't residually stay with me because I'll be convicted. But even up until this time, as long as I've been away from that life and everything, it will still haunt me to ridicule myself or why did I do that? Or, or, but, you know, I think we all may, may do this to an extent, but what I do now, uh, like, you know, when I used, I consumed, I did as much as I could in the shortest period amount of time to suppress all the things that I felt I had. So now I do so much more of the opposite. I, I, I go, I, and, and, and spiritually, I am also learning that I need to balance this out, but, uh, I serve a lot. I do as much service as I can, although I don't want to be Martha, Martha, Martha in chapter 10 of Luke, because you got to balance out relationship and service. You really do. So I, I'm being mindful of that currently right now, but I do love to serve. I love to. I love to go into study. I go, we, we have really good deep study in a small community of my church every week. They have uh, every fall time for four months, they have counseling discipleship training. I partake of that. I, I serve others in, in various ways that I can. And that's what I want to do. I just want to, it, it, it fulfills me. And it doesn't like alcohol never did fulfill me, but this does fulfill me. So it's, it's the complete opposite of, you know, it's either hot or cold. I was cold. I've never been lukewarm, but now I I'm just hot. And I, I've always had a strong will to one way or the other. And, uh, so, but yeah, but nonetheless, still at times up until this very day, if, if, if something, if I'm working on something or doing some or writing a blog or, or whatever, I want to, I want to, I will, I will exhaust myself to get it just how I think it should be. And then if, it, if something is a little off or something, then I'll just instantaneously, not for a long time, but instantaneously, I'll, I'll self ridicule or I'll condemn myself for making this mistake on this or whatever. So that's the flesh, you know, I mean, we still, we still fall and, uh, I, you know, that's part of, but I, I know where, I know where it comes from. It comes from, you know, those early years probably, 
And uh, so it's just it's just a reminder that all but his grace, you know what I mean? All but his grace. Well, and the thing is, it's like we we do still have those old patterns and they'll come up from time to time. I mean, that's normal. What you're talking about here where it's like, hey, yeah, I'm aware of it. I'm moving beyond it. You quit like that self-deprecating, that hypercriticality on yourself, you know, just putting putting yourself um, in that position, putting yourself down. Yeah. When you see that and you move beyond that, that's the growth. I mean, none yeah. of us are perfect. Right. None of us are, are sitting here, you know, um, just walking it out without any kind of an issue. But it's being able to, you know, catch it and go, hey, I see this. And then being able to recover and go back to the new you, the new behavior and thoughts and stuff. um, And not dwelling on, you know, oh, I screwed up or anything along those lines. Working those muscles out about renewing your mind. Renewing your mind in chapter 12. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just one of those that, uh, you know, we, when we change our viewpoint and our perspective of who we are and, um, you know, giving ourselves grace and that permission in the moment just to say, yeah, that wasn't right, but guess what? And you focus on the, the positive aspect of it. Hey, I've grown and I'm moving toward this. Um, you know, that's what keeps you coming back, you know, because it's like, um, you know, you slip up, but you don't stay down. Right. 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 We always Um, have that choice. Go ahead. I said, no, we always have that choice not to stay down. And I, and if I start to stay down, I don't, I don't, I instantly, I want to jump out of it. I want to jump out of it like it's quicksand and, and, know that I'm going to think if I keep staying there. So let's not stay there. We don't want to stay there. Yeah. Nothing is comfortable about that staying in that, in that downness, you know what I mean? Cause he doesn't want it. If it, when you see that he doesn't want it and all that he does offer, then there is no reason to ever stay there. Not even, not even for a little while. <laughs> I, I just, he is the freedom. He is the, he is the everything. He's just it's not where you want to be anywhere outside of him. I know I, I messed this up in my wording, but this, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to ever stay in those things. I just don't because I wasted way too many years. I wasted way too many opportunities. And, you know, I used to think, you know, when I first, but when a weight, when real life and uh, his spirit started to reveal truth in me, I used to, the first thing that I remember, one of the first things I remembered was, and I don't know exactly when this was, but I was young, but probably somewhere in my early teens or mid teens somewhere, I don't know if it was at a job, but I always acted older than, than what I was. I, you know, video games, started getting big in the late eighties when Nintendo came out and stuff. And, and I played Nintendo that first year it came out, but right after that I stopped 
video games. I didn't want to, I, I didn't even, I wasn't even allowing myself to be a child. I just wanted to turn 18 and get out. And so I hung around so many older people, uh, people for one reason, I didn't, I never had a, a real dad or a real father. And so I hung around older people and I just wanted to get out. And I turned 18 on my birthday in the middle of my senior year. I moved three states away. And just because I decided that when I was young, but somebody in my young life saw something in me, you know, more than just my work ethic or something else. But they used to, they used to prop me up and, and encourage me and tell me the potential. I used to remember that word right there, the potential that I had. And it was foreign to me because it, it never came from anybody else. My mother was very loving. She always gave me love. And she assured she assured me that, you know, anything that we did deal with was about three or four grades better than what she dealt with. And that's why she wouldn't divorce my dad. She wouldn't divorce my dad because her, her upbringing was like insanely worse. Uh, and she just didn't want to be alone. She didn't want to go through those battles of fights and all of in the courts that she saw all of her young life. And you know, her mother was a was also in alcohol addiction, very strong. And back in those days, with her mother, they didn't even recognize women as having alcohol addiction problems, so they put them in insane asylums. And she grew up in the orphanages, so she saw and went through so much more. And therefore, she was she accepted abuse and ridicule and argumentative fighting and home interior being ripped off the walls in the house. And she accepted all that and just gave us as much love as she could. And that's what she did. She loved us. She genuinely loved us. She genuinely forgave me of all my mistakes and all the lies and always had real hope that I was going to change every single time. And that's who she was. But when this person, you know, used to express the potential that he saw in me, he used to say, I see potential in you. That was one of those things that came back to my mind when the spirit of God and life came back to me. I just, I thought maybe, maybe there was some potential. And, 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 and I really, you know, I, I don't know what he was referring to. And I don't even know who that was. I know it was a, a, a gentleman. I just don't know who it was. I can't remember. But I remember, I just remember wondering what that was. And I still, I still hold on to that at times. I still think about, you know, the potential that I can be for God now, for God and for just the, you know, just like Paul wrote on all 27 books of the New Testament, you know, about how many times. We are to be the light of Christ, you know what I mean? And just draw all men unto him. And so that's what I look for now. That's, you know, because that's who I owe everything for all that I've done and him still, you know, sacrificing his son for me, for my life. Yeah. Well, here's, here's part of that potential, but possibly that I would say, Doug, you've broken the chains that had been set and your parents had both gone through and that we as kids inherit, right? 
So then yeah. when we as been, you know, become adults, we medicate, take that anger out. However, I mean, it can show up in many different ways. And by you choosing to receive forgiveness, to extend forgiveness and change, you know, who you saw yourself as and how you behave, you've broken the change and set up, set about a different pattern that, you know, would have been without that, you would have repeated what you had experienced, you know? So, so, I mean, that's a huge potential. If you ask me, my friend, you know, being able to, to break what we've inherited. So well well done. Well, yeah, I, I feel you. Um, so I wanted to say, thank you, Doug. Thank you. Opening up, sharing, being vulnerable, talking about, you know, like forgiveness, because that's something that I think we often misconstrue and misunderstand. I know that was something when I was in a lot of pain, I was like, you don't deserve my forgiveness. I'm not going to do that. And I was afraid of what you, you know, you talked about somebody not accepting it and asking forgiveness. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. And just like you've shared, it's life changing to be on the position where you're not held captive by the anger and unforgiveness towards somebody. Um, how can, how can other men reach out and connect with you outside of this podcast, Doug? Um, well, on my site, my site, the name of my site is called breaking bondage from addiction.com. Um, I have a free PDF on there for a reference for unchanging hope. And it's yours if you just click on the PDF to receive it. I also have a video on there because there's a lot of text in my website. And I know, you know, I know the foggy stages of, of just quitting substance addiction or slowing down or not even quitting at all. I know all that. I know I wasn't a big reader and maybe you don't want to read everything, but I, I, but I, I incorporated a small video. It's about three or four minute video on there that kind of just exclaims what my site is about. And I also want to be clear that I know already my site is not for every man uh, with addiction problems. I know it's not, and I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to force anybody, but I want to. I want to welcome you. I want you to accept the free Zoom call that I I offer, and we'll talk with an unbound amount of time. And you can ask any question you want, and see what I offer. Uh, I have a curriculum. I have all the content, but I also have. Other things that I want to know what you want. I want to know what I can build on top of what what I have, and and I also want to say that you know two of two big principles that um, that I think are going to be very important about the success of breaking bondage from addiction are two of the things that I that I had mentioned already, and. It's, it's identifying our bondages. Uh, I had bondages before addiction. It was addiction that coped and medicated my bondages. My bondages were the things that were brainwashed to me of being worthless, be, having zero confidence, 
I couldn't do anything. I shied away from everything. You know, I had no worth. I, I, I was always demeaned. I, I, so I, I walked around with no assurance all my childhood. I had no assurance. I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to enjoy a girlfriend until I already long into addiction with alcohol. Uh, I had none of those things. I wasn't able to go to a dance. I wasn't able to play a, a sports team, uh, a, a baseball or anything because I didn't have the confidence. I, I went in everything with no confidence. These were my bondages. I had to identify my bondage and then work through that. And another principle, and I will firmly believe this, that um, I don't think any addict, any substance abuse addict out there doesn't hold some type of unforgiveness. And unforgiveness is pure captivity. And you have to believe that you are forgivable and that you have to forgive for your own sake. It's not even for the other person as much as it is for you. It truly isn't. And these two things, when these two things are done, and they're not once and done, they're, they're, they're an evolving process. And, you know, I will still have to remember to forgive. And I know I'm forgiven. I, I, I relish in my forgiveness all the time because God is just, he's just amazing in, in my walk with him. But I also have to remember that I got to constantly forgive, you know, because the world is the world is, is is so wrong in so many ways, and we got to remember we don't war against flesh and blood, but against the evil principalities and spiritual warfare in this life, and we got to forgive and just be free from that, be free. And I think when we do these two things, I think we're going to have so much hope to move forward and. And, you know, I also want to say that I know this, you know, I don't have exact numbers, but I do know that prison population across from the east to the west coast is predominantly men. I would say it's probably 80, 80 some percent more than it is women. And how many families are broken up because of that? How many children are going without fathers? or wives going without husbands or in whatever situation it is. And also, and I don't have the updated, you know, specifics and numbers, but more than half, I would say more than 60 or 70% of that is, is something to do with drugs and alcohol, whether it's full blown addiction or just peddling it or dealing it or something. And so that's how great addiction is. That's how great and widespread and how much damage it does. And he, not me, but God who created us is the bondage breaker. And I want, and I want, I just, you know, this, it took me 10 months to institute what I have. And I had to go back in time and relive a lot of this. And it's been some kind of emotional roller coaster that I've never even dreamed of. But I really want to do it to really help people in this in the way that I was helped. And and this is what I want to do. And so and it's 
this is this is my whole idea <laughs> this is uh i you know i i pray to god uh i've had a couple people breeze my site and get the pdf and stuff and but i uh i want to build a community and i understand a lot of there's a lot of shame with addiction and i offer one on one and i offer one on one until a subtle community or whatever but ultimately i think that you know after some processes been had, been going through i think community is where where we get the most help because we all sharpen each other we help each other we we give each other encouragement we we give each other ideas about what we're doing and what we need prayer about and things like that so but that's what i'm uh, i'm hoping to have uh made with uh all you all you guys that can be curious about this that's good well doug i appreciate it thank you my friend yes thank you very much mike i appreciate you too thanks so much my friend for joining me on another episode if you found the information within the show helpful please leave a review on the platform you're listening to helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free see you on the next episode and remember to continue putting yourself out there Have a great one.